So how do you define what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I suspect if we took a poll, there would be all kinds of answers to that. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ? One of my professors in seminary in a book that he wrote says, the purpose of spiritual formation, the purpose of our walk with, with or our journey as a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ. I think that's a pretty good definition. It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not, it's not just taking a step, praying a prayer, and then forgetting it. It is this continual process of being made into the image of Jesus, becoming like Jesus in every part of our being. And when I read that, it intrigues me that when you talk about being conformed to the image of Christ, that when you read the Gospel of John, John says that Jesus is actually the image of God. You have the same kind of language that John uses. He describes Jesus as the Word was God, was with God, He is God. You want to make that very clear to everyone. And what Jesus comes to reveal is the very nature and character of God. He talks about, in verse 14, he talks about the the, the glory of God revealed in Jesus. And the glory of God, if you want to boil it down to a couple of words, is the essence of who God is. It is the very character and nature and the essence of everything about who God is. And John says Jesus reveals that to us in a way that we haven't seen before. What interests me about the way John describes Jesus is that he says he is full of grace and truth. I think most of us would tend to think of grace and truth as sort of polar opposites. We talk about people who are committed to the truth and people who are committed to grace. And and they, they seem to be in a level of tension with each other. And I think that's probably right. And what intrigues me about that description is that when John describes the image of God, when John describes who Jesus is, he describes him with the language of tension. And that made me think about Genesis chapter 2. Genesis story all about creation. You get to chapter 2, we get a little more detailed understanding of, of the creation, particularly of human beings. And in that creation story, God says to the man, you can eat of any tree in the garden that you want to. Eat anything you want. And then he says, except that one tree. Except that one tree. And the minute God says, except that one tree, he has created a world of tension. Without that phrase, without except that one tree, human beings could do anything they wanted to and it wouldn't matter. But when God says you can eat of everything except that one tree, now he's created a world in which there is the tension of choice and there's the tension of risk. Maybe those people will choose to eat of that tree. And the reason God creates this world with tension and choice is because he wants a genuine, real relationship with the people he creates. 
God could have created a world in which human beings have no choice and there is no risk and there is no tension and we are just robots who always do exactly what God wants us to do. But the problem with that is that there is no relationship. We're just puppets. And God is a relational being and he wants relationship with his creatures. And he is willing to go to any length and to great risk in order to have that kind of relationship with us. Not a relationship that's robotic, but a relationship that's real. A relationship in which we can experience his genuine love and a relationship in which we can express our genuine love. A relationship with, with its struggles and turmoils and tensions. And I think God puts tension into the world, not only for that relationship, but also because he recognizes that without tension, there is really no need for God. We just go on our merry way. Do whatever we want to do. And that's where faith comes in. Because tension calls us to faith. The fact that there is tension about things means that we can't completely and fully understand everything that God creates and everything that is going on in the world. And everything about what it means to be a Christian. We cannot understand all of it fully, completely. We can understand a lot of it. But there are things that, are, that we cannot. God is beyond us. And there are parts, and that requires trust and faith. And that faith is what connects us to God. It's interesting to me that when you read the New Testament and it talks about Abraham, it says Abraham was right with God because of his faith. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 about a, a widow who comes to a judge who is, who is notorious for being unjust. And she keeps begging him for justice and he keeps ignoring her and, and telling her to go away until finally she comes so much and bugs him so much that he says, fine, I'll give you justice. And Jesus says, if an unjust judge will do that, how much more will your father give justice to you? But I'm fascinated by what Jesus says after that. In verse 8, he says, yes, God will come and bring justice. But what I'm really concerned about is when the Son of Man returns, Will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man comes back, will he find people who have faith in him, who have trust in him? What's he really saying? People who are in relationship with him. People who recognize the tensions of life and are trusting God in the midst of those. Those are the people who have the deepest intimacy with God. And those are the people who experience the fullness of God in their lives because they've opened themselves up to God. And faith and trust. And that's why I'm convinced that tension is so significant to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about a number of tensions in our faith. Things like, I know what I believe versus I never stop learning. Or I... I I understand God and I'm, I'm, I, most through my reason. I understand God most through my experience. 
having a personal relationship with Jesus versus being a part of the corporate body of Christ. There are all these tensions that I think we often take for granted or ignore that I think are vital to our lives. And they all come back to faith. I was meeting with a group of people and we were trying to figure out how do we visualize this idea? How do, how do we put this in a way that, that we can remember and we can see and we can think about as trigger points? And we thought about a whole lot of different things, a lot of different ideas, because quite frankly, there's a lot of, of tension that's just a part of our world. But we finally settled on the loom. And I don't know if you're familiar with a loom and people who weave on a loom. Uh, you might be, when I was a child, we lived in southern Indiana, and there was a, a village there, a state park, Lincoln State Park, and they had a little Abe Lincoln village, and they would had a grist mill, and they would uh, they would uh, grind corn so you could you know have cornmeal. And they had a woman in a room who had a great big loom, and she would make things. It fascinated me. All that's been coming back to me as we're thinking about this. If you're not familiar with the loom, let's just watch this thirty second video of of a woman using a loom. Or we might do relaxing hymns on piano. It's a slow, arduous process. And quite frankly, often a lot of the tension we live with is a slow, arduous process. It's God working in us. But the thing about a loom is, as I've been talking to people about it, and I'm just starting to discover some things about looms, and I'm trying to read and understand, and we're going to weave this. I didn't mean to say that. We're going to weave this theme throughout the next few weeks. Um, If the tension on the string, on the thread, is too tight, it will bunch up. If the tension on the thread is too loose, it won't hold together. That tension, but it has to have tension. And as the two threads from one way and the other way come together, they create something beautiful. And that's why we love the loom compared to some other visuals because it, it gets you somewhere. It's leading you somewhere to something beautiful, to something useful. And that's why we settled on the, on the tagline from tension to tapestry. Now, we did debate some other ideas. One of them was that we would call the sermon series Fruit of the Loom, but we decided against that one. <laughs> it was my favorite, but they decided against it. But, you know, this idea of, of tension to tapestry, that we're, it's going somewhere. And sometimes it feels like in the middle of the tension that it's not going anywhere. It's not making any difference. But it is. It's leading us to be the people God created us to be. And we need that tension because it creates the need for faith. And that faith connects us to God who is the source of life for everything that we desperately desire deep in our hearts. We wrestle with that. Because quite frankly, we often would rather have resolution 
than faith. We'd often rather have resolution and and have everything just solved and done than, than the struggle of the tension and the faith. We'd like to settle. I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard uh, someone play music, and there are certain styles of music, where you get to the end of a song and, and the chord needs to resolve and it doesn't. When I hear that, I just want to run to a piano and if I knew what to do, I would try to resolve it. And I do in my mind. I resolve it in my mind, even if the person playing doesn't, because I want that resolution. I'm a middle child. And according to birth order things, middle, child, middle children are, are uh, mediators. We're people who want to try to resolve things. And, and, you know, I have a sister younger and a sister older, and I'm continually trying to resolve their lives and their problems. You just ask them. They'll tell you. I'm in the middle of it. And there's something in me that wants to mediate, that wants to resolve. And resolution's a good thing. Resolution's helpful. We need to come to resolutions. Those are good. They're important. They're significant. The problem comes when resolution is our, our goal. Because if resolution is our goal, then Jesus is not our goal. And sometimes we get so enamored with resolution that we come to the subconscious decision that I would rather resolve this tension than deepen my faith in Jesus. Now hear me, this is not faith that's saying it's all a mystery, throw up our hands, there's nothing we can do about it, just forget about it. No, this is a robust kind of faith. This is a faith that thinks deeply. This is a faith that processes things deeply. This is a faith that uses our minds and and what God has given us to learn and to grow and to develop and to work at it and to see how the things in tension hold together. And it's this push and this pull that we're continually with. And we want a formula that will lead to resolution. God wants us to have faith that will lead to a deeper, closer relationship with him. Because that's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's what he wants for us. And that's why he's leading us to this. You know, it's the, it's, it's the Goldilocks syndrome. You know, I suspect most of you grew up know, knowing the story of Goldilocks. This little girl walking through the woods, comes upon the house, nobody's home, so she goes in. I don't haven't heard anybody address the whole issue of breaking and entering in that story, but that's a whole other thing, I guess. But she comes into the house, and she gets in the kitchen, and there's the porridge there that the bears have left. And the first one's too hot, second one's too cold, third one's just right, and she eats it up. And then she goes to the family room, and there are chairs, and this one's too big, and this one's still too big, and this one's just right, but actually she breaks it. She goes to the bedroom, leaving this wake of destruction behind her. And she goes into the bedroom, and, oh, this bed's too hard, this bed's too soft, this bed's just right, and she falls asleep. And the bears come home and wonder, what in the world happened to my house? And they go into the bedroom, and she wakes up and runs away. And I still don't quite know the moral of that story yet. (laughs) But there's something in us that's seeking just right. If it could just be just right then my life would be good. Eliminate all the tension. Eliminate having to think that much. Eliminate having to to really work that hard at being a follower of Jesus. If I just eliminate the tension, then it would be just right. But if the goal is just right, it's not leading us to God, it's leading us away from Him. Because if our goal is just right, 
And all we're thinking about is making it just right. And not in growing in our journey with him. This summer, my family was down in North Carolina visiting my family. And we went to, went to church with my parents on Sunday. And they go to a, a small church there. It's, it's a beautiful historic church. But it's, it's small. It's probably maybe the width of it. Maybe a little wider than one side of our aisle. And maybe eight or ten rows back. And a little balcony. And it's a beautiful church, but smaller. Maybe a hundred people there. And so... There was, came a point in the service when they had a children's story, and they invited all the children to come up. And our granddaughter, four-year-old granddaughter, Emma, was sitting on my lap, and I said, do you want to go up for the children's story? And she said, yes, but you come with me. So I'm like, okay. So I walk up there with her, and there's three or four other little children sitting on the altar, on the floor, but in front of the altar, and three of them, and Emma and me. And we're all sitting there in front of the church on this altar. And the woman's giving the children's story, and, and it's, you know, it's a great children's story. She did a great job with it. And in the middle of it, Emma's starting to feel more relaxed. And she turns over to me and she whispers in my ear, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> and, of course, my hearing isn't always the best. And so I didn't quite catch what she said. And I turned to her and I said, what? And she said, I don't need you anymore. <laughs> so I kind of slunk over to the piano bench and sat down while they finished the story. And we went back to our seats. And I sat down and I said to our son, Andrew, did you hear what Emma said? I said, everybody heard what Emma said. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, there is something about that in this. We get relaxed and we get comfortable. And when that's our goal, what we're in essence saying to God is, I'm not sure I need you anymore. I'm good. I've got it all figured out. Everything's fine. And we think that's the life we want. But actually, God has so much more for us. So much, so much, such a deeper life. A life of joy and peace and a life of grace, a relationship with Him. And, and, it, and it's not that we don't ever have resolution. But when that's our goal, Jesus gets pushed to the side. We miss out. When we come to this table, we are coming to this table to remember who God is. That we can live this life of faith. That we can embrace tension instead of running from it. Because we know who God is. He's good. And his desires for us are good. And every journey in which we're walking is for our good. And we can trust him. Because this table is about the depths and the links to which God is willing to go to do that for us. So as we come to this table this morning, we come remembering and giving thanks for who God is. And we also come declaring, God, I need you. And that's a good thing. And I want you more than I want resolution. I want you more than I want an easy, comfortable life. I want you.
Father, thank you for your mercy to us. Thank you for who you are and the way in which you created this world. Open our eyes to see the reality of who you are. What you dream for us through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.